This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. It's Jeff and Eric with you here as we are now T-minus two shows until tonight for UCF football. We got this show and then our next show, which we record on Wednesday and will go live the morning of the game, Thursday's second UCF against Boise State. We got this one loaded, Eric Lopez. We got two big interviews. We got everything going on tonight. That's right. Uh, people are in gear. We got sports all over the place. A lot of discussions. Alliances forming. Alliances. We have wrestling talk. It's all kinds of stuff that, we, that, we've, that we've got for this show. So, all right. We've got Chris Vanini of The Athletic, who wrote a big write-up on uh, UCF and the attention that they're getting from the big 12 and other power conferences and the attention that they're trying to attract from them in particular. Uh, also, uh, Scott Calabrese joins us. UCF head soccer coach on the men's side uh, to preview his team, our third uh, preview. Uh, the 13th ranked nights, by the way. 13th ranked. Yes. 13 ranked in the preseason. They start their uh, season uh, Thursday, the 26th, uh, right before you're probably hearing this. So, uh, we're excited for that when they play FIU to start out. Um, and of course, we'll have sort of a grab bag of news at the end. But first, we're going to dive in with um, just the landscape of college football as we sort of continue our football preview, if you will, um, by taking a look at the national perception of UCF as we head into the 2021 season with Gus Malzahn taking the helm. And uh, joining uh, the guy who joined us today, joined you, Eric Lopez, Chris Vanini from the athletic, who I think we can now put into the category of friend of the pod, because he's been with us, been on with us rather more than once, um, wrote a, wrote, he's had some really good, uh, uh, pieces of late. Um, one about how, why he thinks conference realignment sucks. And it's really actually a good piece if you see, but he had one, uh, earlier this, uh, uh earlier this week on, uh, on UCF, and uh, it's a good read if you haven't seen it yet. Um, but the overall uh, idea behind it is, you know, UCF is preparing itself once again for a potential move uh, and making itself as attractive as possible. The headline: UCF has money, fans, and a new facilities plan in conference realignment. Will someone notice? And it turns out they are noticing. But of course, those conversations are pretty quiet. But Eric. You spoke with Chris today uh, about uh, what is the, or rather earlier uh, this week, I should say, about about this piece and a lot of other things uh, having to do with college football and realignment and had some pretty interesting uh, tidbits to give to us here about what he thought uh, would become of the Big 12 and UCF's place in the, in the latest round of realignment and also the extended timeline that I think it's going to take, right? No question, especially at the, you know, it was a great discussion, especially at the, with the news this week of the ACC, the Big Ten, and the uh, Pac-12 forming a, quote, alliance. Uh, and no while paperwork so, involved in that, by the it's way. It's all about it's the just, trust system it's there. Just, it's on the yeah, alliance. It's a, press conference. It's, it's, a, it's a press conference that should have been an email. <laughs> For sure. And so while many questions are still about that, one of them, is how does that affect 
the American and schools like UCF, who, of course, as we talked about last week, is trying to get the facilities upgraded here in the next decade. That's the big push by Terry Mahajer. And that's one of some of the topics that I had a chance to talk to Chris Vanini earlier this week from The Athletic about UCF and their place right now. What is the future for UCF? What does this all mean? What direction could they be headed? And as well, we talked about this upcoming season, oh, by the way, including the big game next week between UCF and Boise State, as well as a little talk about the American. Here now, Chris Vanini on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Joining us now here on the Black and Gold Banneret, of course, he's the National College Football Writer for The Athletic, covers all angles of college football, including the Group of Five, including the American, including his most one of the most recent articles he just wrote this past week about UCF titled UCF has money fans and a new facilities plan in conference realignment will someone notice that's some of the things we'll talk about with our guest Chris Vanini who oh, just like me is a big wrestling guy he has his wrestling podcast I don't so I'm envious uh, how you doing Chris I am doing well I appreciate you having me Let's talk about, obviously, first, the news that came out this week. Uh, the Alliance had their ACC, Big Ten, Pac-12. They had their press conference. I think it was underwhelming for a lot of people. There was no real teeth in there. They don't have a contract. Kind of what was your takeaway from this situation for the Alliance? And what does it mean if you're a member of the American? What should you take away from it if you're a member of the American or even a G5? Well, what they announced was basically what I expected, which was while everybody was excited about scheduling possibilities and all kinds of stuff with that, it really is just about announcing that they want to be on the same page when it comes to NCAA rule changes, when it comes to playoff expansion and when that happens and that they're essentially not going to poach each other in conference realignment. It's basically just like, Hey, let's slow this down. Texas and Oklahoma are going to the sec. We all got surprised by that. Let's kind of just make sure we're talking to each other on this stuff and and as opposed to, you know, the way things were, were headed before. So, you know, they, they're not going to blow up schedules to try to schedule new games. So any of that type of stuff is years away. Um, it was mostly just kind of vague of, hey, we just kind of want to slow this whole thing down, you know, after what was a pretty crazy summer in college sports. And, and for what it means for the American, not much right now, um, you know. If they if the playoff is not going to expand for a couple more years that, you know, out to 2026, that would mean a longer period of waiting. Um, but, and it, but again, scheduling is not going to really change for a number of years. So so it's 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 still a lot of just wait and see. Yeah, it just kind of seems like, hey, we're not going to get pushed around much uh, at all. So, you know, we're going to come together here and just show you type of deal. It's kind of very unique on that. So. It's going to be weird what, what this moves forward. Do you think this will – do you believe them? They, they said they don't have a contract, that they're going to go by the honest system, uh, honor system, basically. Hey, we, we all agree. Like, I feel like that's a dangerous thing to say in college athletics, considering, like, a lot of times teams just move around, you know, and betray other conferences or other schools anyway. Well, it, it, that's when they just – they don't want to lock themselves into stuff they may have to get out to. Back in 2011, I think, 2011, 2012, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 agreed to a, a scheduling agreement where they were going to play each other every year. Uh, but then the Pac-12 had to back out because it moved to nine games. It had some scheduling things that couldn't fit, and that lasted seven months. So you don't want to lock yourself into something that, again, the tangible stuff is – 
if it happens is years and years away. So you don't want to lock yourself into stuff like that. There's also antitrust concerns. I mean, today the lawyers for the Alston case um, said that, uh, you know, Hey, if you guys are going to collude to, you know, impact future college athlete compensation, you know, we're going to sue you for that. So there's a reason you don't sign a contract for, for some of these things. It was certainly easy to look at that presentation, that announcement and roll your eyes and, and, and laugh at some of it stuff like, you know, we looked each other in the eye, but it's cause that's not really the reason. Honestly, the, the, the real announcement was not that much, but they wanted to put out a United, uh, United front. Of course, not in that Alliance is the big 12 uh, and, and company. What does this mean for them? Uh, cause that's been a hot topic and obviously in, in our area or in our audience and talking about it's everywhere. What's going to happen to the big 12. Some people are saying, Hey, that's good news. That means they have a chance to maybe survive. If the other leagues don't expand, some say, no, they weren't invited in this. That means that it's only a matter of time before they, that, what, where, where do you think the big 12 stands now with obviously Oklahoma and Texas at some point leaving for the sec? We don't know when it, as of now it'd be 2025, but I think the belief is they're going to try to do it sooner, but, what does this mean for the Big 12 moving forward? Well, it's kind of embarrassing to be left out of the alliance, no doubt. But the, the reason they were is because there's just so much fluctuation in that league right now. Texas and Oklahoma are still there. Uh, you know, who knows what else is going to happen? What this also means is that it's very unlikely, even more unlikely, that any of those other three conferences grab any of the leftover Big 12 teams uh, by creating future scheduling agreements with the big 10 and the pac 12, you essentially get your expansion benefits without having to actually bring in a Kansas or a TCU or something like that. So all those big 12 schools would like to go to another conference. If they get an offer, they're going to take it another power five conference. They're going to take it. It just doesn't seem like anybody's going to take it. And so now you're sitting in the spot where, well, we don't know where Texas and Oklahoma are going to leave. It may be one year, two years, three years, four years. We, we, we don't know. And until that happens, you can't really do your next step. So everything's just kind of like in limbo right now. Yeah, it's kind of a holding pattern, and we don't really know what the next moves is. Now, you just uh, wrote an article this week on The Athletic about UCF and really their growth. Obviously, Terry Mahajer recently last week spoke about their plans moving forward to try to upgrade in facilities and built facilities and things like that. Uh, you wrote some of that. You talked to what was for those that don't know. Of course, you can watch, follow that, get that, read that on the Athletic. What, what kind of, what was your big takeaway as you kind of went into this article and talked to people? What was your big takeaway? The big takeaway is just that UCF really does have a lot to offer. Um, you know, the Athletics budget is near or at the top of the Group of Five, and it's not that far off from the bottom of the Big Twelve. And essentially TV money is what makes up the difference there. Um, you know, you look at the, 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 the fan base, the season tickets they sell, the TV ratings that are really similar to the Big 12. If you take out Texas and Oklahoma, you know, other than location being a bit far away, everything about UCF fits and is very appealing. It's a big school. It's got a large growing alumni base with um, you know, disposable income. And UCF wants to make that case. Uh, every group of five team wants to make that case. They don't want to say it publicly. You know, I know Mahajra was asked in the board meeting about the changing landscape of college football, and he's not going to say, hey, we want a Big 12 invite. But everybody's asking the Big 12, hey, kind of, hey, if you expand, we, we'd love to get a, a look here because there'll be more security, more money, more TV money and everything else that comes with that. So, you know, UCF is – 
I mean, as you guys know, it's just all about grow, growing as fast as possible, so much so that, you know, school officials have to resign because they misuse construction funds on campus. Uh, but they, they've just they've pushed so, so hard over the last 20 years to kind of get to this point, to get to the possibility of joining a, a bigger conference. And now that moment is kind of upon us, although it may be several years until something happens. And that's a key word. You said that uh, several years, because, you know, right now, the fan base, there's a portion of the fan base that says, hey, if the Big 12 calls, you got to take it, go, go. But there's others, and I'm in this camp that says, wait a minute, I don't know what the future of this league is beyond 2025. Is it going to be around? What's it, was it, are you really not better off just waiting in the American, which has a stability right now with the con- lengthy contract with ESPN? And is there possibly that there could be options that open up down the road? You know, could the ACC expand? Or if somebody, if a Clemson Florida State were to leave, could that open spots? From a, if you were UCF, what would you do? Where, where do you, what do you think their options are here in the next handful of years? Is it just stay patient, keep building, and see what happens? Uh, what, what would you kind of advise? You, you take that Big 12 offer if it comes. Because if you don't, Cincinnati might, BYU might. And then suddenly the American is not quite the conference it was, and you're still in it. That's kind of the, the tough spot the American is in, is they have the most to gain by potentially trying to grab Big 12 leftovers. But if the Big 12 leftovers stay together, then they could take from you. And if the American loses its top you know, three or four teams, then suddenly it's not that different from Conference USA if you look at who's left. So, no, you take that Big 12 offer if it comes. The, the ACC, they got that grant of rights through 2036. So nothing is happening there anytime soon. Um, obviously people would like to go there, but it's probably not going to happen unless you're Notre Dame. So uh, if a big 12 offer comes, you take it. The problem is we don't know when this is going to happen because we don't know when Texas and Oklahoma are going to leave the league. Nobody in the, nobody in the conference knows that. Um, and you can't, you're not going to expand it until, until you know when they're leaving. And so it, it's just kind of way up in the air. And, and then the other the other teams in that conference are in the same situation as UCF, which is, do we want to commit to the big 12, you know, or do we want to get a hope the PAC 12 or ACC come calling for us? So everybody's kind of in that same spot, but if you're UCF, I think, you know, whenever, if a big 12 offer comes, you, you got to take it. Especially if they can get a TV deal beyond 2025 and have some stability, right? Cause then from a schools like UCF and Cincinnati, you make the move because you're going to get more money. It may not, you know, whereas, you know, the Texas Techs are the ones who are going to lose money out of this because compare what they were making to before. But if you're UCF, you can make more money. You just got to make sure the league sticks around. That's the key. What all comes down to it, it's really the timing of all this. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to jump to the Big East and then the Big East crumbles. But the problem is the, it's not like any, there's, there's nowhere else for these Big 12 teams to go at the moment. They all have dreams of going to the Pac-12 with the Big 10. But really seems unlikely and the alliance makes it more unlikely because they've added more games now without having to add teams yeah the alliance may have certainly kind of helped them at least buy some time and we'll see how that all plays out let's talk on the field obviously we're a week away UCF will host Boise State it's a marquee game right off the bat Gus Malzahn obviously in his first year what's your thoughts on Gus at UCF I know you've written about it that's a big storyline and you got Boise State. I kind of feel I'm going to use a wrestling here. You can. Re- I kind of feel like we just saw this in SummerSlam with kind of like John Cena being Boise State. They've been this dominant G5 program established for years and years. 
Roman Reigns is kind of the it right now in the industry. I feel like UCF's in that industry. What do you think about these two programs matching up here in the opener? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the old blood and the new blood. These teams have played yeah. in, I think, six BCS or New Year's six games over the last 15 years. Um, they've really been kind of the class of the of that group along with Cincinnati. Um, it's fun. It, it's certainly interesting that both teams have new head coaches going into this yeah. game too. You know, Andy Avalos at, at Boise State former defensive coordinator there. So a lot of changes on both teams. I'm, I'm curious to see what Boise's offense is going like. This is a team that re- relies on running the ball, but now they've got a, an offense coordinator in Tim Plow who likes to pass it around a lot as he did at UC Davis. And with UCF's offense, how much read option running is Dylan Gabriel going to do? Because we've seen some really good offenses and some really bad offenses from Gus Malzahn at Auburn, and it largely relied on how much did the quarterback fit in the system? You know, Nick Marshall was converted defensive back, took them to the national yeah. championship game. Um, and then you have Jared Stidham in there and it doesn't quite work as well. So, you know, obviously we, you know, Dylan can run. He was going to go to, I think it was army at some point. So he has that ability, but he also throws maybe the best deep ball in the country. So that's number one thing I want to see is what both of these new offenses look like. Is this a game where the winner of this game can kind of spring springboard this to a big year, maybe win their league and end up in New Year's Six, whereas the loser maybe takes a step back and maybe it's more of a transitional year with the new staffs? Yeah, I think there's more to lose than gain. There typically always is when you have big group of five matchups, even like the Boise-Troy games, because you, you don't get – the benefit of the doubt for the win from a lot of people when you should now Boise state could win this game. And what is it? Two, three weeks later, go lose to Oklahoma state uh, at home a couple weeks later. And, and so it's certainly possible. UCF has to go to Cincinnati later in the year. Who's obviously the number one group of five team that people are going to watch. So if you lose this game, you're probably out of that new year six picture. Not for sure, but probably. Um, and if you win it, you're, you know, alive for another week, which is kind of how this goes. Where are you on the Cincinnati ranked in the top 10? Are you on that bandwagon? Some people are saying, wait, that's too high. People, where, where do you where do you feel about the Bearcats this year? Are they, you know, they got Indiana on the schedule, Notre Dame, they host UCF. But where do you feel about the Bearcats? Luke Fickle, a lot of hype now, expectations after the year they had last year. Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to be great once again. I mean, as long as Ford works out at, at running back, they should be as good as they were. I mean, they should have beat Georgia last year in that beach bowl. If they just kind of blew it at the end. Um, and at number eight in the preseason, which is where I have them too, that is, that is the highest group of five preseason ranking in the AP poll uh, in, in the CF era. The previous high was Houston at 15. So it's quite a jump up. They're getting a lot of respect. And if there was a team, if there was a situation in which a group of five team could make the playoff, this is it. Your preseason top 10, you go to Notre Dame, you go to Indiana, you get SMU, UCF, and, and um, SMU, UCF, and uh, what Memphis. Are, what are, what, you got Memphis, Memphis in the Memphis. mix there. Yeah. And I, think, I think all those games are at home as well. They're all at Nippert. So the league runs through Nippert. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people in one way or another will be pulling for Cincinnati to crash that playoff. I agree. I think that's one of the UCF's biggest threats. I think the other concern I have is an SMU. Uh, you know, the Coach Dykes, they brought in a lot of talent. Calcaterra, the tight end, transfer from Oklahoma. I know the quarterback situation hasn't been kind of settled, but they have talented arms in there. They got talented skill positions. Is SMU a team that could crash this potential UCF-Cincinnati rematch in the conference tournament? Could they crash the party and get themselves in there? Oh, yeah, for sure. It just comes down to, like you said, how is the quarterback play? They have uh, Tanner Mordecai, the Oklahoma transfer, 
and Preston Stone, a, a four-star recruit. But whoever wins it has a ton of weapons. Ulysses Bentley was a, I think, a newcomer of the year or something in the conference. The running back was he led the conference in rushing. Reggie Roberson, the receiver's back. Cal Kateris back from a medical retirement from Oklahoma. The defense has a new coordinator in Jim Levitt. He's done a really good job of, of turning things around. It's a defense that forced a lot of negative plays and allowed a lot of big plays. So if, if, if the quarterback play is um, okay, then they should be right in that mix as well. Is the American right this year? I worry that it might be improved to the point and good with SMU, a Memphis, even a Houston we could talk about with Dana Hogerson. Does the league run the risk of beating each other up and costing themselves the New Year's Six bid and maybe a Louisiana or Coastal Carolina or Boise if they were to beat UCF and run the table? Somebody like that, take that spot in New Year's Six. Is the American in danger of that? Or do you think the American has a gap lead over everybody else? Well, I think Cincinnati has a gap lead over everybody else, but not the whole conference. I think the American in general is going to be down a bit. I, I think you, you look at the, the number of teams that are losing quarterbacks uh, and you compare that to like the Mountain West, which I think will be a lot better this year. Uh, I think Nevada is going to be good. San Jose State, Boise State, Fresno State could be good. Uh, a couple couple teams could, could take a step up there as well. Um, it really just comes down. And, and then the Sun Belt, the, the Coastal Carolina, Louisiana situation, they don't play each other in the regular season. So there, there's a good chance both of them make the conference championship game with really strong records. And if that happens, the winner of that will should be right in the mix for that spot uh, as well. So I don't think the American is as is as ahead of everybody else as they have been. And that'll make a really interesting race for that spot at the end. Is there a team you think could surprise in the American like Tulsa surprised last year and got themselves into the championship game there? Is there a team this year you think could make that leap? and be in the mix there uh, coming out of uh, bouncing back from maybe a, a down year or just not people talking about him. I, I wouldn't put him in the conversation to win the title, but I'm really interested in uh, East Carolina, which has been down for a while, but they are a very veteran team now after playing a lot of young guys on defense in recent years. Holton Aylers is back at quarterback. He's really good. They have a really good running back as well, who was, I think, again, co newcomer of the year, freshman of the year, something like that. Um, so this was the year that a lot of people in that program were pointing to. This was supposed to be kind of the breakthrough year. Now, the fact that everybody's bringing seniors back probably makes that a little bit tougher, but I think they're going to surprise some people. I mean, it was only two years ago. They put up 600 yards on Cincinnati and 600 yards on SMU. And like, I don't know if they lost both of the games. They lost Cincinnati. I don't remember what happened in the SMU game, but they can score points if things are together. And so that that's a team I'm really interested to see if they pull a couple upsets or two uh, against teams that are at the top of the league. I, from a UCF standpoint, my concern is their schedule. You just mentioned East Carolina. That's part of a stretch from October 2nd to the 20th, the uh, second where UCF's got to play at Navy and play the triple option. I mean, who knows? I know they had a down year last year, but they're going to have a fall practice. You know, if they find a, the right quarterback, they're difficult to play with that triple option post East Carolina. Then they go to Cincinnati. Then they host Memphis in the short week. That's a tough stretch. That's not including, obviously, opening with Boise and going to Louisville. Do I have cause for concern that maybe UCF kind of the first half of the year here has some lumps here and it could be a bit of a transition for Gus? Yeah, I mean, I always thought it was going to be a bit of a transition for Gus just because of all the skill players they lost. They lose yeah. you top three running backs from last year, you know, number of receivers, the, the defensive guys kicked off the team late at, late at the end of last season. The defense obviously took a nosedive last year, so... 
this was I to me, UCF is by no means the the for sure number two team in the conference for me. I mean, I put them there, but but I again, I think the league is down. I think Cincinnati's up, but I think I think everybody else is potentially a bit down and could be a bit jumbled and could lead to a lot of things. So that stretch you just mentioned is uh, is certainly going to be a different difficult one. Yeah, I, I, I try to calm fans as you know you you're very quite familiar with the UCF fan base on social media, <laughs> the Twitter. They tend not to handle. A loss very well and i'm kind of trying to prepare them like this could be a 10 and 2 9 and 3 and that still would be a good year in my opinion if they go nine if they could turn it to nine and three that's a really good year yeah 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 do you, I, I, for sure i i do you feel and you did a great article uh many a few weeks ago about you know your the losing rivalries with all these movement and and realignment and things like that do you worry that we're lo- the college football is not headed in a positive direction from a rivalry standpoint. I feel like fans now, it used to be, would celebrate 10 win seasons. Now, if you don't win 10 wins, what's wrong with you? If you lose a game or two, like here at UCF, we've had we've kind of gone through that a little bit. Do you feel uh, that, that we're headed in a, in, a, in, a, in a negative direction with the sport? Or is it just one of those things we'll just adapt to it? Uh, where, where is the health overall of the sport? Well, I think college football is definitely heading in a, in a bad direction because of poor leadership over years and years and years. They have to get NIL forced on them. They have to get transfer stuff forced on them. Um, you have now you have realignment that could lead to the end of the Big 12 and, and, all, and all kinds of things. So it that's what happens when you have individual conferences and with that individual teams looking out for themselves and themselves only. And you have athletic directors who are only looking at Hey, what can I do to get a bigger job out of this? You know, look five years down the road as opposed to 20 years down the road. You don't have ADs that are sticking around as long. You don't have coaches sticking around as long. Everybody's just looking for the next thing to get them. There's been an incredible lack of leadership in the sport. Um, And I think the reaction to the Texas Oklahoma news is essentially the same thing Um, to, to, to have a team like Iowa state, which just had its best season in a century, which is a preseason top seven team, has one of the best coaches in the country heading into this season, could make the playoff. And for their essential, essentially defining storyline right now is where are they going to end up? Are they going to get left behind? That's bad for the sport. Yeah, it's yeah. bad for, for a team with such a dedicated fan base that has seen such bad football for a long time to finally be good reach this moment and essentially because it's so good texas and Oklahoma, because texas is down texas and oklahoma decide to leave simply because they get more tv eyeballs that's bad for the sport you know what does that tell a fan of iowa state you know what this is really all about agreed 100 percent. i've kind of been feeling the same way and that's kind of it's been tough uh kind of watching the news i kind of do wonder about that and i've been concerned about that but uh there's nothing we could do about that uh your thoughts Terry Mahajer, obviously taking over for Danny White. What's been your thoughts on him? He obviously comes over from Arkansas State. Uh, your thoughts on him overall here at UCF? Oh, he's, he's a great AD. I mean, he, he's a home run hire with, with, without a doubt. The job he did at Arkansas State to turn that department into what it did, the, 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 the coaches that he hired. I mean, the reason he had to keep hiring coaches because they kept getting hired to other jobs uh, the, the facility they built, the football facility is, is, is spectacular because Jonesboro is out there kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's about an hour west, northwest of Memphis, um, and there's not much out there, but they, they turned it into a place that people want to go. He has incredible vision and motivation and energy to 
get there. And he, and he knows that, I mean, there's a reason he was on the, the playoff selection committee when he was at Arkansas state, there's a lot of respect for him. So uh, he's a guy who, he's a guy who knows what matters most in an athletic department. He's a former football coach. You know, he understands kind of how this all uh, goes together and, and where you kind of got to emphasize the most. So I think, I think it was a great, great hire for UCF. Yeah, no doubt. And obviously he's got tried big plans trying to get UCF to the next future. All right. Couple last things. Now, those may not be aware. You also do a wrestling podcast with Adam Silverstein getting over, which I've listened to. I, I've subscribed to it. You can what listen to it uh, anywhere you want. We have wrestling fans in our audience. Brian Murphy works with us at Black Eagle Better. He's a big wrestling fan. He hit me up Friday. He watched AEW for the first time because CM Punk made his return. I got a lot of people that you got a lot, I'm sure a lot of feedback from people that maybe haven't watched wrestling to CM Punk. It just got announced that AEW will be having a dynamite show on Saturday, October 23rd at the uh, additional additional arena where UCF plays basketball. So people are now all of a sudden talking AEW coming to Orlando. Uh, as somebody who covers what what can people expect for AEW? Because I feel now there's people that are watching AEW for the first time because of a CM Punk movement here. Uh, and people are curious about what can you tell the people here? Because a lot of them are going to try to go to this show the night after the UCF Memphis football game. It's it's a lot more of um it's more of a sports type wrestling than it is a variety show type wrestling. Like like WWE will give you lots lots of vibrant characters and stuff like that, but AEW will give you a lot of wrestling. And the fan base is uh, f- fanatical. Basically, they will make everybody in every match seem like it's a really big deal. I went to an AEW show here in Texas before the pandemic and it was a heck of a lot of fun and you just kind of watch the show and you see that excitement coming through there. There's a lot of energy and excitement around this company, which is now a rival to WWE. And uh, there's just a lot of fresh faces and, and, and new ideas. CM Punk's not a fresh face, but it's a good mix of new and old. And their model is essentially what are wrestling fans like? Okay. Let's give that to them as opposed to try to get something and hope the fans like it. They just realize what people like and they give it to them. So it's going to be a lot of high flying, lots of crazy moves and more than anything, just a lot of energy. Yeah. And I, it's interesting because Brian's a wrestling fan. Like I, we've talked wrestling on this show, Greg Lovelady who's the UCF baseball head coach. He's a big wrestling fan, but he hasn't really given any, uh, last time I spoke to him, he hadn't given AEW a chance, but I think that's kind of changing. I feel a lot of people, and by the way, I feel like it's okay to watch both WWE and AEW. I feel for whatever reason, people have oh, this yeah. like argument that it's only be one or the other, which is kind of bizarre. And then there's a rest UCF angle here, because I know you've spoken and Parker Boudreaux left the UCF football program uh, earlier this year. He's currently under contract at a, a developmental at WWE. Uh, he's one of two UCF alums there. Cal Bloom is the other one. They both recently were on NXT TV. They were playing these security guys in the signing contracts between Adam Cole and, uh, you know, and, and, and that deal going on with Kyle O'Reilly. What, what did you remember in talking to Parker Bedroy? He's always been a wrestling fan. What, what, cause Jeff Sharon, our co-host always asked me, what does this mean? What's his future like in wrestling? I'm like, I don't know. I mean, he's got to prove it. What's your thoughts on that whole thing from a unique perspective as you've covered the industry in wrestling, but you've also covered football players like Parker. Yeah. I talked to Parker two or three years ago before he joined wrestling, because I was writing a story about how, how football players become wrestlers and Andy Seeley, the SID at at UCF had told me about Parker and how much Paul Heyman and kind of Brock Lesnar had shown an interest in him. And he told me back then that he's like, he he would love to get into wrestling whenever football's done. So I was not surprised to see him move into that. 
And now NXT, which like you said, is WWE's developmental. They're kind of moving back into that developmental role as a company. So you'll see a lot more people who are learning the ropes, essentially learning how to wrestle as opposed to hiring people who had been wrestling for 10 years. So Parker is the exact kind of guy that they're looking for. They just had a big tryout at SummerSlam, an open tryout or kind of open. You had to apply and get invited and stuff like that, but they hadn't done one of those in a long time. They're always looking for football players and other kinds of athletes that they think can translate to wrestling. So I, I think people seem really high on Parker Boudreaux. It's going to probably take a few years as he kind of gets to know how, how to, how to, how to do everything, but um, they have, a, they have high hopes for him there. The blueprint is Roman Reigns. I think you've written about it. You wrote about Roman Reigns. He was a football player at Georgia Tech. And it yeah. really helps the college football program. Like Georgia Tech has embraced Roman during this whole time. I think uh, Jeff Collins has even been promoting his shirts and, you know, uses his Roman's reign slogans. I know when Brian covered our game uh, last year when they played at Georgia Tech looking for Roman Reigns photos and stuff like that. It helps a college football program if a football player doesn't pan out in football but become a big star in wrestling. I know you've written about that with, uh, you wrote about Roman Reigns about similar. Yeah, he, he played at Georgia Tech and, and they like to Georgia Tech likes to promote that as much as they can because he's he's a big star. Big E played at Iowa. He loves yep. Iowa football and they, they do that kind of stuff, too. So, um, you know, a, anytime someone has a famous professional wrestler, uh, they, they try to do that. There was there was a guy who played at Maryland for a number of years and he kind of wore Maryland gear out there. Who don't forget the uh, the Steiner brothers when back in the day they used to wear University of Michigan varsity wrestling jackets to the ring back in the day so there, there's <laughs> a right. lot of there's a lot of uh, college and professional wrestling crossover and um i like talking about both of them yeah you're the perfect guy bill goldberg who played at georgia yeah you know you he makes appearances on paul feinbaum because he played at georgia but it helps the wrestling company this wrestling organization from a promotion but it also helps the college football programs because it's an alumni uh in most cases or someone that played there so and you're the perfect guy because you cover both so you're a busy guy and I appreciate you for uh, taking the time here. Just tell the audience one more time where they can find your work, especially at The Athletic with a great article you did there with UCF and all the great articles you do. Yeah, I mean, mostly just theathletic.com. Is our, our college football team is uh, loaded with all kinds of preseason content uh, right now going into next week. we got conference previews, team previews, all kinds of stuff under the sun, everything you could think of. We got it all there. Um, and also, like I said, on uh, uh, Getting Over Wrestling Podcast with Adam Silverstein, I, I do that as well. So. Definitely recommend Wrestling Fans. Subscribe to that. You guys break it down. You do shows after major pay-per-views. Great them. Uh, I feel like you and Adam are like the Cisco and Ebert of wrestling, where you kind of <laughs> give reviews, and it's really good. It's really good, and and people like me enjoy it. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate it, and uh, we'll definitely talk soon. Yep, thanks for having me. Wow, that was great. Thanks to Chris, man. That was uh, a lot of insight there, Eric Lopez. There you go. See, he even answered your thoughts about what – Parker Boudreaux, Cal Bloom, what their future could be. That's the great thing about Chris. He does the wrestling like I did. In fact, while we did the interview, uh, in fact, I may, it may be on our YouTube page. He had uh, a wrestling shirt on. I believe it was the Bullet Club. I had my CM Punk shirt on. So uh, we'll see. We'll see if Chris is talking. Of course, news this week, AEW, the wrestling show, is going to be on campus at UCF in yeah. October for their Dynamite show, which is their prime show. So... We'll see if Chris convinced our good friend Brian Murphy to go out to that show or not. You but. talked. You guys talked about that. That's exciting. I um, my so let me go back. I I still this is something that, you know, I, I can't quite get get past here. So so, give me insight here based on you know 
not just you talking to Chris, but from what you've been hearing, the whole idea with UCF, the certain UCF fans that you talked about clamoring to go to the big 12 at any cost, right? I don't understand where the value is. If like I wrote up a couple of weeks ago, that if the remaining eight teams in the big 12 are television viewership wise, no different than the American. Where is the financial incentive to leave for the big 12 when you don't know what TV contract they're going to have after 2025? And I know you and Chris touched upon that, but also the other fact is Bob Bowlesby, I think really burned a bridge with ESPN with that cease and desist letter. And here's UCF in Orlando. Walt Disney world is the number one employer. You have a, a pretty nice deal. I, I, you know, in my opinion, at least with ESPN that, um, that has shown that has shown that they believe that the American is a, is a, uh, is an asset that is increasing in value. Okay. Where's the, where's the incentive for UCF to jump ship? If, some if an if an invitation from the Big Twelve comes in without certain guarantees and certain um, and certain conditions on it, especially having to do with the media contract. Well, but I think that's going to. I, I don't think any school is going to jump on that until they know what the TV contract situation is. I, I don't believe that they're just going to go in blindly. I think, I think, and and Chris pointed this out. This is going to take a while. The first step is. When is Texas and Oklahoma going to leave officially? Officially, now, mm-hmm. as of now, they're not leaving until 2025. Now, and their their oh. public position, by the way, sorry for interrupting, but their public position, by the way, is we're totally cool staying here until 2025. We will wait out that contract. Well, and we know that's not true, but well, we, I, we don't know. They don't want to spend the money. They don't want it. They're trying to avoid spending the money that it would take to get out of there. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they are. That's all. This is all lawyer talk right now. But I'm but, you know, I I think that as long as they're out there saying, you know, if they're out there publicly saying, hey, we're fully prepared to wait this thing out. I I think there really is a non zero possibility that that actually happens. I think there's it really depends on what the lawyers figure this out. This is going to be an awkward year in the Big 12 from that standpoint. That being said, I think the eight remaining members would have no issues with Oklahoma. I think they want to squeeze every dime out of this. So they're going to make this very difficult for them to leave. So, you know, while there's some people that think that Oklahoma and Texas will figure out a way to get out of there and be in the SEC for next year, you would think that would make probably the most sense. But at the same time, I could see where they have to stay an extra year or two. So I don't think we're going to have it until all of that is resolved. I don't even know because then until all that is resolved, we're not going to know what the future of the the rest of the big 12 is because those eight members aren't bolting. First of all, you know, if I think one of the things from this alliance is the reason I think is happening that I think is kind of under the radar is I don't think the Pac-12, Big 12, and ACC necessarily want to expand right now. I think they want to uh, Big Ten. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they want to. I don't. I think they want everything to slow down, which is why, by the way, you're not going to get your playoff until 2026. So, good, nice job, media. Andrew Glukov. I don't. I don't, I don't care. Very, uh, I don't care when 
as we get 12 teams. I really don't care. I'm prepared. To if play. we get to 12 uh, and how many, and then what conferences are involved in it remains to be seen. But Andrew Glukoff called this, by the way, weeks ago. So props to Andrew Glukoff if he's listening, our, our colleague, our boy. He called this while the rest of the national media did not. So props to him. That being said, so the Big 12 ain't going to – the eight members right now don't have a home. And so they're going to try to kind of play this uni- unified deal until they can get as much money as they can. So once Texas and Oklahoma thing is resolved, that's when I think at that point we're going to know – what happens with the eight remaining members? Do, do they get plucked? Do they decide to stay? And if they stay, I think they'll begin negotiations with contracts. And then that point, now they'll start thinking about, well, what, who, do we, who do we try to invite? Well, remember, they're, they don't get plucked. They're the, ones who are, they're the ones who would individually be going to these conferences Maybe. and saying, hey, what do you think about it? Because remember, the conferences can't reach out to the schools, but they can reach wink. out to the conferences. Wink, I wink. know, but... You know, if it comes down to a court case, I mean, that's where yeah. that's where you get discovery. Well, that's I think where you some get of this will, that's where right. you get phone records and all that right. kind of stuff. So my, so I guess my question is like, what do you think happens first, and what do you think maybe Chris thinks happens first? Well, I, I know you can't speak for him, but uh, is do we see Texas and Oklahoma, you know, come to an agreement before twenty twenty five, or yes, yes. or do we see one of the uh, one of the little eight, shall we call them, uh, field an offer from somewhere else? No, I think Texas and Oklahoma will sign a deal first. I don't think, I don't think any, I don't think the again, I don't think the other conferences are going to make a move right away. And I think, I think if anything, they want to slow this down, and that's kind of my point. That's why I think the playoff will not happen until closer to twenty twenty six because I think the big the Big Ten. Which, by the way, the Big Ten Network's owned by Fox, so it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Them and the Pac-12 want this to be an open market, and I think they want to slow this down. And I don't think they want the SEC, uh, the playoff, to be all on ESPN. I think they want multiple networks. They are following the, the the blueprint that the NFL has set up. The NFL is on with multiple networks, and they have the playoffs through multiple networks. The NBA has the same thing. Even college basketball. You think about college basketball, CBS and Turner CBS and share the Turner, tournament. Yeah. I think that's what the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and, and obviously the ACC, since they've joined this alliance, wants a, another partner in it. I don't you know to share in all this because clearly they believe that there is a conflict of interest between the ESPN and the SEC. I don't personally believe that, but I also believe that the Pac-12 and the Big Ten don't want a 12-team playoff to turn into the SEC Invitational. And that's what this is about. That's their ultimate fear. And that's why I'm not convinced that the current quote-unquote structure that we heard about all this time is going to happen with the 12-team playoff. I don't believe that the top, what was it, the top six conference champions? Top six conference champions. I think that's going to go by the wayside. I really do. I think that number is going to shrink. That's and I, that, and Okay, I, that would be bad. That yeah. would be really bad. And because- I believe... The Pac-12 in particular, they're going to push for – remember the Pac-12 said they want guaranteed spots. I think they're going to get that. I think they're going to get – because I think what's going to happen here at the in, in the end, the SEC is going to tell the other three members and say, all right, what do you want? What do you want to do? What, do, what, what are we doing here? What, what, what? And then I think they're going to come to terms, and I think those four are going to separate themselves from everybody else. So that's why I'm – while I do think they're going to go to 12 – I'm not convinced that the, the, some of the things that have been floated out there are going to stick. I think there's going to be some changes. See, and it, see, that's know. where that's that's unfortunate because 
the whole reason behind why they said six but didn't specify which six, right, was to preserve that opportunity for the non conferences was to it, it, you know to make sure that you know in a year like last year where you could have had both the Sun Belt champion in, in Coastal Carolina and the American champion in Cincinnati both going the Pac-12 could have been left out. It's like look if you if you get beat up by the Sun Belt and the American well do football better. <laughs> you know I mean I mean what, what, what yeah but I, I just I just has all of those resources at their disposal. And by the way over time you know, we are going to see the Pac-12 get better, and then some other conference will have an. A, a hey, look, I would, so, I know? would argue if I were them, they should try to push for this now because they're going. I mean, the SEC to me is fine either way. You want to keep it at four? I think the SEC would tell you, fine, we're fine. We're going to get two, probably. Like we might get more, two this year. More than fine, they might get four. <laughs> no, nah, they'll get two. But the point is, it'll be like the Big East in the in the. In, uh, I basketball in the mid 80s my prediction is i think what's going to happen when they get to 12 and then we're going to turn back to ucf and this is why i think ucf would likely take the big 12 spot uh i think eventually what's going to happen here i think the power five will get a guaranteed spot and i think they might even get two spots depending on how how deep they expand this field and so Wait, i when think you say the power five get a spot you mean pac 12 sec big 10 uh, ACC, and then either whoever that fifth is. Is it the Big 12? Does the Big 12 save that fifth spot? You heard what Jim, uh, the the commissioner said on the Alliance media that they want the Big 12 to prosper, even though they didn't invite them because they don't know, which was ridiculous. <laughs> wink, Nonetheless, wink. that's the trump card that the Big 12 right now has over the American. It's the autonomous five. And if those big four say, hey, you could still, be, you could still hang out with us, but you're going to be on the back. You're going to sit in the back seat. They're going to take it. And for schools like UCF and Cincinnati, they're probably going to jump at that because if you get if the Big 12 gets a guaranteed spot into the playoff, that's better than what the American has, which is not a guaranteed spot. And you're fighting four or five other conferences for a spot, not to mention if the Big 12 saves, saves and I'm not saying it's going to happen, but this is the scenario. If the Big 12 saves themselves and keeps that autonomous five, then they probably do I they, they you know do they get 15 million per year for example from Fox and ESPN for example because I'm not convinced that ESPN would just automatically dismiss not you know they might still chip in for a tier um that's still more money than the American so remember I, that they remember that the Big 12 just started that Big 12 now network correct, which is just like correct. the American uh -huh. set up on ESPN plus too don't forget like, that to me I mean in a perfect world I think the American and the Big 12 honestly should just work together and form quote unquote the alliance that's who really needs the alliance but they really what they really should do is just merge yes but the problem is you got egos inside and in, involved right now and and that's probably that makes too much common sense well, well, Texas and so, Oklahoma have egos and look what that and look what happened there so yeah they blew up this whole thing that's why join the SEC <laughs> yeah I'm probably we're on the path of ruining college athletics as me and as me and Chris have talked about so I think the next three to five years I think you're gonna see a battle here between the American and the big 12 for that fifth spot and I think that fifth spot is wide open so the question is does the Big 12 remaining teams come to the American or do the American teams go to the Big 12? They're all, you know, that's the fight. And from a UCF standpoint, this is the key. And I think this is where they're going to have to work with other schools because as Chris brought up, what if, what if you say no, but Cincinnati and USF go now, what now you're now you got left behind. Now you're left back. You're not going to go by yourself. I would agree with that. But if Cincinnati USF, and this is all hypothetical, 
let's say it's Cincinnati, USF, and Houston, and UCF are the four choices. I'm guessing those schools will talk among each other, and they're going to go as a team, and they're going to feel like, you know what, we just weaken the American. If we stay, it's going to be a weakened American. We go to the Big 12, we upgrade. Maybe the league doesn't last that long, but we put ourselves in this position to make more money. And I think from UCF standpoint, what I think they really want, and this is, and I don't think, I, I don't care what anybody says. This was not an accident that this proposal for the facilities was last week. I think Terry Mahajer and UCF is preparing for the future. And I think that future is 10 years down the road, 10, 15 years down the road. What does college athletics look like? Is the ACC going to be the same or are they going to lose some members? We don't know. Could Florida State and Clemson leave in about a decade to go to the SEC? Maybe if they're not happy where, where they're at. Now, that might sound crazy. That's a decade from now. But in college athletics, that's just around the corner. So if you're UCF, you want to put yourself in the best position to, for example, if the Big Ten decides to go to Florida or the ACC needs a replacement for Florida State, that you are that choice. That's why their whole mission, their whole promotional campaign, we are the future of college football. We're the future of college athletics. That is not an accident. They are planning the long game here because this is a long game battle. Hmm. I just think that if you're going to if you're going to move and you're going to tick off the mouse and ESPN and how much power that they have. And I get that there's there's sort of a that the alliance is in part trying to counterbalance that, even though the ACC and the Big Ten and uh, and, you know, both have both do get revenue from ESPN and their media deals. I think you just got to be very careful if you're. Well, can you argue that the ACC is agitating the mouse though, by that theory, by joining the Alliance? Why are they in the Alliance? That's a good question. I don't know. That's, that's the thing that's so more fascinating to me is the ACC is involved and the ACC network's owned by ESPN. So I don't think ESPN is exclusive out of it. Again, what this is turning into ESPN wants a pie. Fox wants a pie. I would not be surprised if a decade from now, you have ESPN with their own playoff and Fox with their own playoff. And the question is, which side do you want to be on? Man, boy. I mean, at that point, you don't really have college football. You have nope. two development leagues, two yep. developmental leagues. That's yep. Yeah, and, and look, Chris and Chris and I, we, I mean, we're pretty honest about it. He was pretty honest. We don't like the direction this is going. Forget the UCF side. Forget just from a college fan, sports fan standpoint. I don't like the direction this is going. I'll be honest with you. I'm disgusted by all this. I could care less. I'm tired of it. They've ruined it. They've ruined college. And I'm talking about the all, all these people. Because How what they ruined it? Come on. They've, no, they've ruined it. They've How? ruined this. How? Because to Chris's article, we're getting rid of rivalries. We're actually spending more money. So then they're going to complain that they're losing money because their teams have to travel cross flights because they, they're in these sort of conferences and matchups that make zero sense. But then they're going to blame the, the smaller sports for their problems when the really the problems are is the greed at the top. There's greed. That's what this is. It's all a money. Grab. Do you really think Texas and Oklahoma really needed to go to the SEC? Is, it, is Texas and Oklahoma going broke? No, they're not. But they needed more money. They want more money. All of this is money. It's all about the money. And that's fine. But I just don't like it. And I think it's going to turn off people long term. But if you're no, UCF, I, see, I don't you, think it's going to turn off people long term. I think that it's it's going to get people even more involved in because people's allegiances to their alma maters, and we know this firsthand, and also and, and also people allegiances to the states that they live in. I mean, I mean, I lived in Georgia for two years. 
you know, <laughs> there's a, there's a large number of Georgia fans who never went to the University of Georgia, and it's a it's a state identity thing, and uh, it, it just I don't I don't see how I don't see that stopping. I just don't see that stopping. Yeah, I think that's a fragmented thing, though. I don't believe that's a majority. I think more and more people as we grow into this, and we're seeing it now in the numbers in television and all places. You don't have to follow college football if you don't want to. You can follow other stuff. Well, but if you're, sure. if you're UCF here, here's the thing. You want to make sure you're relevant, and you don't want to run into a position where a decade from now your big game is FIU because that's going to turn people off. Well, you know but, what you got to do? Make sure you are on the right side. You got to win. Well, and that helps. And that's win. part of the promo. Yeah. And it starts <laughs> and it starts in a week. Yep. All right. So, uh, again, thanks to Chris. Chris Vanini on Twitter. Uh, if you haven't read the piece, make sure you read it. If you haven't subscribed to The Athletic, Chris's work is. And I have it. It's really alone. good. He's great. Yeah. Um, and we're so thankful for him to take. And his wrestling podcast is fantastic. I subscribe as well. Yeah. Yeah. Get over. Yeah. All right. Stick around. We come back. We're going to talk the other football soccer, men's soccer, specifically, uh, Scott Calabrese joins us. The UCF men's soccer head coach. Lots to talk about with coach Scott about, uh, the upcoming season. Uh, and, uh, can his Knights repeat the double of winning the American regular season and the tournament? They did it last year. Uh, in uh, and won nine straight games in the process. Can they do it again? Stick around and find out from Coach Calabrese himself. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you. It's time for one more of our fall sports previews. We've talked to Tiffany Roberts Hadak, we've talked to Todd Dagenet, and now we talk to the head coach of UCF men's soccer. Scott Calabrese coming off of the double last year. Scott, you finally shook off the demons. That must have, I, I, I know we've talked about this a gazillion times, but that must have felt last year so good to finally win that trophy tournament on your home field after, after battling back all those demons in SMU and all that kind of stuff. Has the, has the glow subsided yet? Because I know it happened in the spring, you know? Yeah, it, it, uh, so for one, yeah, it was, it was great for us to finally, uh, be able to produce that, that important vital win in a playoff and, and win the playoff championship. Um, and I think our, not only did the, the coaches feel really good about that moment, I think the players also felt like, okay, yeah, we've, we, we've done something we haven't done before that we've been, that we've really been pushing to do. So, um, that was that was a big big moment for us, um, and to have to go through two really good teams in SMU, which which was the team that kept uh, preventing us from doing that, um, and then Tulsa was uh, was great. But uh, we are we have moved on from that. Uh, the glow is over, and we are we're now in a whole new season. So yeah, well now well now here you are, and uh, no rest for the weary because uh, right off the spring season usual due to covid now we dive into the fall under a normal schedule now and i ask this to your compatriots in the other programs and i'll ask this of you how have you adjusted your training regimen and what are some of the things that you've learned and adjusted to in preparing your team to go from a full throttle season in the spring 
to another full throttle season in the fall and only having that summer in between to rest up. Yeah, I, I think actually in our case, I, I would call this a real benefit. Um, the fact that we didn't spend, uh, you know, the spring, you know, typically the, the soccer season, the non-traditional season for the spring is five games. And uh, that's a lot of training and not enough games. I felt like actually this spring was the perfect balance. It was one game every weekend, um, not the two to three games that get kind of crunched into this now traditional fall season. So I actually felt like our preparation, our, our playing in the spring was balanced in such a way that we weren't really fatigued coming out of it. We were really fit. And this shorter layoff for me is even better that we get going. Well, and we've discussed in the past about the two semester being a two semester sport. This is yeah. something that you as coaches have been pitching for. Uh, this was prior to COVID. And you even said, we spoke in the spring, this will be a test run, if you will. Uh, I'm yeah. curious, you know, during the 10 minute off season you have, you've had <laughs> is <laughs> that you maybe have chance to talk to fellow coaches. What's been the feedback so far, you know, what you've learned yeah. from the spring here and as you get for a fall here for really a two semester a year. Yeah. I mean, we, we actually, I think you're right on that. We're now living that model that we've talked about and uh, the feedback from the majority of coaches was that the spring and how, um, how we had this one game a week, how we had this, this perfect amount of time to prepare for that one game, to, to recover from the game before, to be fresh going into the next game, that rhythm that, that we had established was, was exactly what we want. And so the feedback is, yep, what, what we thought we wanted and what we were proposing is what we want. Um, it is a quick turnaround uh, compared, to, compared to before, where, where you end in May and then you're pretty much back at it in August. Um, so it's, a, it's more work, but I, it's better for, if you ask me, it's better for the college players, for their development. Um, it's, it's better for the game, the college game itself. Uh, to be a better developmental platform. So if that means we have less time off as coaches, but we're doing a better service uh, for our programs and for our players, then um, we'll just have to fit in our vacations and our time off in, in that smaller window. And that's the right thing for us to do. So I, I'm, I'm still very positive about that change. So do you believe that moving forward here, maybe in the next year or two, this will be something that will be pitched? Uh, to to try to make this more permanent. And I'm fascinated about the rosters because I know one of the questions people had was how are you going to be able to handle rosters? Because, you know, players can sign with a pro team, especially in the spring, as we saw that. Did that go more smoothly than you thought? I mean, just, I'm so fascinated by this from that standpoint. Yeah. What's, what's next here for the future of the sport? No, you, you picked up on one of the big challenges. And that that is the challenge of when the MLS and USL starts versus now if you change your model. And so um, that can be challenging. Uh, what, what you did see was there were a group of MLS teams, so MLS draftees, who, um, who were told, stay put where you're at, finish your college season, and then come into camp. And those, that was probably the majority. Um, we had Louie, who did not actually get drafted and that was kind of a surprise to us all um he went and was uh approached by usl team so 
you know, that was a player that we did not have for the spring that maybe we thought we would. Um, and that's just, that's how it goes. It, it turned out that, you know, through a lot of discussions with, you know, us talking to different coaches um, and, and trying to figure out what was best, that was the best thing for him to do. And then, it, and then, you know what, it's the next man up. And, uh, you know, so we lost Louie, other people were there, other players were there to step in and, uh, and then it was their chance. So I, I do think that you, you're dead on. You might not be playing with exactly the same roster you had from the fall and the spring. Um, and that, that may affect teams, some teams more than others, depending on who's leaving and who, who's going. But I still do think uh, even with that, it's, it's the better model overall. You know, you talked about next man up and, you know, thinking back to how last year went you, when, when you won nine matches in a row heading into that group of death in the NCAAs and doing no small part to your man in goal, Yannick Ertl. Um, who was fantastic. And now he's getting his shot at the pros um, yes. peaked at the right time. But now the challenge, one of the big challenges, obviously for you, for this year's team is yeah. finding out who takes his place. Now you did get some good play last year from Matt Douglas when Yannick was out. In fact, Matt was in goal for the first win for the first of those nine straight victories. That's right. Um, he's your red shirt junior. He's kind of your veteran right now, but you got two guys right behind him also that are kind of, biting at his heels. So what's the situation uh, between the pipes right now? Yeah, uh, that's, that's a great question. Um, we have, we have told that, that goalkeeping group that it's up for grabs and uh, it's, it's going to be up to them to, uh, to decide it and, and to fight for the spot and that every performance in training matters. Um, when someone does eventually, so someone's going to get picked for that first game and they're going to get that game. And then that performance is going to matter. Um, the person that gets that game may get the second game. They may not get the second game. So uh, we're, we're in this position right now where uh, those guys are fighting it out. And uh, each one has their own individual strengths and qualities that, that would make you go, okay, yeah, this is, this is a player who I could see playing uh, in this game. And they're all a little different to each other. Um, so it's, it's going to be one of those decisions that we're going to make probably day of the game and uh, day, day of the game, day before the game, and then go from there. And, and then we'll see who, who handles that, those big moments well. Oh, boy, you're going to make them sweat, Scott. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I'd hate to be in that room, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be weird for you, though, because throughout, since we've known you, since you've been here, you've been used to just penciling in Yannick. So for you, it's got to be a little strange for you as well not to see him around. It, it is. It, it, it is. And, you know, for, for one, I think this was a great opportunity for Yannick. Um, so uh, we weren't 100% sure whether Yannick was going to be back in the fall. That that opportunity came to him in the summer. Um I think the Revs have uh, have made an incredibly good decision to to take him. I think they saw the potential in him that so many of us got to see kind of day in, day out, game in, game out. So for one, so happy for him uh, because I think he's a guy that can really make it. Um, and, and it is it is odd to to not have him in there, but it's also this uh, this is what college sports is about. This is this is this is the great 
uh, aspect of college sports where after four years or, or in this case, five years because of COVID, somebody moves on and then, you know, another player has an opportunity. Um, and so it's, it's actually been fun to watch those guys because their, their performances now, they're feeding off each other, fighting for that spot. And, and I'm excited to see each day they get, they get better as they, as they push each other. Of course, one of the advantage, whoever the goalkeeper will be, is you return a lot of guys uh, in, you know, in front of them. And really yeah. a lot of guys that I thought gained a lot of experience and grew during the spring as the spring went on. Have you seen that? Who are some of the players that you've seen here? You're like, wow, this player has grown leaps and grounds as a result of going through the spring of, of the returners. Yeah, you know, I think um, when you look at the team, I think Mauricio Villalobos, just seeing him continue to grow, continue to improve, uh, that's, that's been exciting to see. Um, you know, you, you see Luca Dorado, who was a freshman, and Anderson Rosa. Those guys both came in and played big roles in that spring. And uh, to see them now more settled, uh, those are two guys who, who came in January because it was very difficult for them to get out of Brazil um, due, to, due to COVID. So to see them go from you know uh, this really quick integration into our team to now they've spent the entire spring uh, within our group and now we're more settled. Uh, I think I think both of those guys have this real great potential to have a, have a great year. And then um, Gino, very very you know excellent spring. Uh, year before was really good as well. Um, excited to see what he can do this year. Um, so we I mean it's 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 quite a good group. Giannis Learman, obviously a, a big player in the back line. I, you know that that whole back line is is the same back line. You know with Caleb Frankie who came in last year did not play right back very much previous to that was a player that played a little higher up the field, then really took to the right back position, had a great year as a right back with Giannis, uh, Tico and Anderson Rosa. So, you know, that, that group in, in front of, uh, in front of our goalkeeper, I'm excited about that. So, um, and then, then there's a lot of incoming guys too, that have, that have impressed. We have quite a few new players. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be exciting to see, how through these next couple games, this first part of our season, different people grow and find roles. Well, and you mentioned the leadership. You know, we always saw Yannick being that vocal leader there in times like that with obviously a new goalkeeper. Who steps into that leadership role from a vocal standpoint? Is it Giannis? Is it other guys? What? Who are your leaders overall about the team? Yeah, I, I think one of the big ones is Mao. And I think Mao command such respect from this group because of how Mao operates every single day. And uh, he's just, he's a professional and, and he's always doing the right things. He's, he's, he's always the guy that's training in the most focused way, hardest, you know, one of the hardest workers. Uh, so I think he has such credibility within this group. Um, there's some young leaders in uh, Beto Yadrak who actually played quite, quite a big role uh, last year, I think, you know, he's a guy who just people gravitate towards him. Uh, he's got a lot of influence in the group in, in this incredibly positive way. Um, so we have Beto. Um, those, those two in particular are, are really the guys that their, their voices, their voices a little bit louder than maybe some of the others, but we, we've got a really good group. Um, and in different moments, 
uh, different people can step up and lead, but it, it's also a group that they're all, the, all their noses and are, are pointed in the same direction. So I feel like it's a group that you have a lot of willing followers, you know, and, and, and who will sometimes be leaders themselves, whether they're the captain or not. Uh, everybody just seems focused all in the same direction. I wanted to ask you too about, um, you know, when we talk about, when I think of you, Scott, I think of your team's offensive attack and the most exciting brand of soccer in the nation at any level. I've always believed that. Now, last year, you know, it, it would be easy to look at that and say, well, what happened? Because you guys only averaged 1.5 goals per game, but you still won all the games, all the matches that you did. And I think that part of that was because we could see you guys uh, figuring out, okay, who's going to fill that spot that was left by Cal Jennings. Oh, for sure. And, and I think, and, and you, it looked like you really did between Gino and Luca, especially when, especially late in the season, because Luca scored the only two regulation goals in the tournament in those two games. Yeah. So, you know, what are you looking for from them in terms of in, in terms of trying to put that throttle, you know, all the way to the floor there and try yeah. and put the pressure on defenses like you're so used to from your previous years? Yeah. Well, I, I think, um, I, I, I think you're, you've accurately described kind of how we began last year where, you know, there was this, this void from Cal um, who was 18 goals, his senior year, 20 goals the year before. Um, and we needed more sources of goals. And Luca was a young player. And there's this natural process where players just, they don't just plug in. They literally have to learn over time how players play with each other. And so Luca towards the end caught on to that. And, and then he started to produce goals. Gina was, you know, producing goals and, and assists. Um, you know, I think what we're going to, what we're going to look for is we, we need many more players to be productive. Um, you know, we have Nick Taylor actually who played on the wing at SMU has, has joined us and he's a, he's a dangerous winger who can get in behind teams who could take players on. Um, we've got Campoy, Alessandro Campoy. So Campoy was uh, first team all conference USA. Um, and if you look at the midfield in conference USA, so the national champions came out of conference USA yeah, and Marshall. Uh, Marshall. So I want to say there's either three or four central midfield players in the first team in conference USA. And he was one of them. And, and he is, a, he is an exceptionally talented player, um, really good around the goal. And so he's this eight slash 10 attacking midfield player that can score goals. Um, you know, I, I'm looking for Mao to, to add to that tally as well. And, uh, and we have some exciting young, uh, first year players and, and freshmen in that attacking group, uh, Lucas Morrow, who scored a goal actually against FAU on a free kick. He's incredibly dangerous. Um, Kevin Andrews, uh, young, young player who's also dangerous. Um, uh, Asher, another young player. So, so we have, we've looked to, we've looked to really increase the, uh, the attacking group that was here. One of the issues you had is with COVID, it was very difficult to change your roster. Mm -hmm. uh, it was very difficult for you to, to go and find other players and, and have them join your team. So we were probably, we were a little bit light in those attacking options. We've got Gianluca Arcangeli, who's back from Brazil after 18 months 
where he could not get in the country. Wow. Um, yeah, it was, it, it's incredible. And he, you know, two years ago, if you look back, he scored, he scored some really important goals for us. Now he's 18 months older and uh, more mature and more, more ready to contribute. So I think we've got a really good group of attacking players and, and both our outside backs are attacking players too and score goals uh, and create chances. So um, it's, it's a, it's a really good group. And I think if we can get firing on all cylinders, you'll see a lot of different people scoring goals. Of course, you mentioned Marshall, they're the defending national champions, I think speaks to the parity of the sport. Uh, and really, you know, the college cup, that was the most watched college cup. You talked about the two semesters benefits, the ex extra exposure you got in the spring for yes. was probably another factor that's been brought up, but just talk about the parody in the sport. Cause I think the American is the, really the poster boy for parody in the sport from top to bottom, you're playing home and homes. I mean, you're beating each other up. SMU should be bouncing back. They'll be strong. Tulsa maybe surprised some last year. I thought they should have been in the field. Just to speak to the parity of the league and then the sport as a whole. Yeah, I, I, I think 100% there's, there's so many good teams out there right now. Our league is, is full of, of top teams. Uh, I want to say 2019, we were a three-bid league and, and, and maybe four or five teams were, were in the top 30. Um, and so when, when you look at that, it's it's really uh, every every game is is a difficult game. There's there's no such thing as an easy game anymore anymore in college soccer, um, and I think you you see mid majors, you see some of these smaller programs. That, I mean, you think years back Akron was was a team that you know you don't immediately think okay Akron's a national champion, but that was by far the best team in, in college soccer back back during that time. And I would say Marshall last year. When I, as I was watching those, those games, and if you forget that IU is IU and Marshall's Marshall, just say, who should, who should win the game? It was Marshall. Marshall was the better team. And so I do think you can build top, top teams um, at, at schools that aren't necessarily the traditional blue blood powerhouse uh, programs. Um, and it's, it's just, uh, it, it makes for basically every game is, is exciting and competitive. And is that something you talk to your team about? You've been to back-to-back -back Sweet 16s now. You've seen a taste of it. I mean, you know, you lost to a great pit team that made it to the College Cup and things like that. Yeah. You're right there. You've kind of, you're seeing the level. The expectations as a result changes a little bit. Is that something you talk to your team about? Hey, we do this. We can be, we can be in that College Cup. We can win the national title here if things, uh, you know, if we do what we need to do. Yeah, I think, I think we're actually a team now that, that does believe we belong there. And then that, you know, the players have to believe that um, in terms of expectations, we try not to focus on those outcome expectations. Like we're, we're just hundred percent trying to get better every day. Our expectations are around work rate. Our expectations are around how coachable you are, what kind of teammate you are, you know, our, our expectations are around, you know, how you take care of your body, how, how you prepare, how you train your mentality, and then when we take care of all of those expectations, then we get to be this, this best version of ourselves, And, and we're just, and we did this last year when the outcomes in the very beginning of the year, weren't, weren't the outcomes we were looking for. And we literally just said, okay, what, what do we need to do better at? And you know what, we're falling short of our standard in these areas. This is our standard for 
defending. This is our standard in transition. This is our standard in how we act in these moments. We fix these things. And then you saw we claw, first clawed our way back and then started to perform. Um, so, so I do think the team believes that I, I, I still, looking at that pit game, if we had done a couple things a little bit differently in the beginning of that game, we were in a position, uh, despite this, the scoreline, which was, you know, 4-0 against us, we do a couple things a little bit different. And, and we, we were 100% in a, in a position where we, we could have really competed in that game and won that game. Uh, as crazy as that sounds with a 4-0 loss. No, no question. The schedule, you don't start easy. Uh, you played no. F FIU. You know that program, I think, a little bit, just so people know. Yeah. You, you know that program inside a little bit. UNF at home, and then you go to Raleigh. Uh, you got Virginia Tech, which I told Jeff when I first saw the schedule, I yelled, wow. Uh, you got Virginia Tech, NC State back-to-back. -back. So you're not ACC, right? You know, powerhouse conferences, and then the conference gauntlet. Just uh, discuss the schedule and kind of the thinking behind it uh, and, and really not starting off easy at all. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree that the FIU game, um, obviously, as a former head coach at FIU, uh, I know some of the players that are there. I also know um, how how to recruit there. And they, the, the guys there have done a really good job. And so they have they have a very strong team. I think their overall preseason results, they won all three games, outscored their opponents 15 to two. So, you know, they had a good preseason. We had a good preseason. Um, so I think when, when you take a look at that, they're, they're going to come in. They have a very good team. That's going to be a huge test right away. Uh, UNF, we've played them most recently in the spring to 0-0. Zero, zero. Uh, I think they're a very good program. They'll present a little different test for us uh, in the way that they play. And, and then, you know, you go away and you play two ACC teams. I want to say Virginia Tech was, were they final 16? Last yeah, sweet year. 16, right with you. Yep. Yeah. So they, they were sweet 16. I want to say they've done sweet 16, final eight. Um, so we play them. Big game, incredibly difficult game. Uh, and then of course NC State, which is you know typically top 25. So I think when you when you when you're tested in, in this way, you learn a lot about your team. Uh, I think if you play a simpler or, or or what is a perceived easier schedule, you might not learn as much. And so I think when, when we play this, this schedule, of course, we want to go there and we want to get results, uh, but we're also going to figure out what do we need to do better to be at this, this elite level so that when we go into conference, we've made, we've made our mistakes, we've learned some lessons, and now we're ready to really compete. And, and I think those teams will, will put us on our edge in, in, in the right way that we'll learn a lot about our team. And that'll be kind of my last question is what's going to be the keys you're going to look for, especially as you early in the season for some signs that are like, okay, if we do this, we'll be fine. Or, Hey, we need to address this. What are some of the questions you maybe have or things you're going to be looking for? Yeah, I think, I think the number one thing is uh, it starts with your mentality and how, how you react in difficult moments, how you deal with difficult moments. Um, if you, if you deal with them the right way, then you're, you know, it's, it's, it's not that those difficult moments hurt you. It's, it's your reaction to those difficult moments that to me is, is really critical. So I think that's going to be something we're going to judge ourselves on. Um, and then how we institute our system and, and how we play. And with so many new players in our system, 
seeing how quickly we can get everyone on the same page so that in every moment, every player knows what they're supposed to do. And that process, realistically, uh, in the, I don't know, 15 days that we've had here in preseason, that process cannot fully take place. That's, that's, we need at least double that amount of time to go into a game and be like, yeah, we were like so dialed in. Everyone knows what they're supposed to do. We're even going into these games and there's still more that we have to teach and, and that the, and that the players need to understand kind of collectively. So just how quickly can we all get on the same page in these different moments? And then how do we deal when things go poorly? How do we deal when things go well? I mean, one of the problems actually we had about in 2019 is that we would start every game one nil, two nil up in 20 minutes. And then we take our foot off the gas and we'd have to get it done in overtime, you know, with a Cal Jennings goal. Um, and that's how you deal with success. Um, so just being able to have that, like, can we keep our foot on the pedal the whole time uh, and perform at this incredibly high level? You know, some of those games were pretty entertaining, but I'm pretty sure you would you would probably say, uh, Coach Scott, that maybe they were a little bit too entertaining at times. <laughs> I, I would I would 100% agree. <laughs> well, the entertainment is going to start uh, this weekend, uh, or rather this week, I should say. August the 26th, that's uh, Thursday against FIU, 6 p.m. kickoff. Uh, and then uh, and then Sunday again against UNF, uh, starting that starting the season with those two games that you guys were uh, talking about. So we'll be there following you right along the way before. And that's right before that trip out up north where you, where you play Virginia Tech and NC State and Raleigh. So you're going to hit the gas like Eric was like, like Eric and you guys were talking about right off the bat. So uh, we're going to find out real quick what this team is made of in those strong moments. Head coach Scott Calabrese of UCF men's soccer picked in first place in the preseason coaches poll, razor thin margin too. coach. Did you see that? Oh yeah. But that's, that's a hundred percent right. I, like Tulsa were so good. You know, we, we get a little bit of insight into how they're doing things recruiting wise. They brought in another good class. Um, SMU of course is, is so good. And, and, um, you know, certainly appreciate their their opinion of us being being one of those top teams. Um, but on any given year, you know, there's it's such a competitive conference, and, and anybody can kind of rise to the top. Boy, it's going to be fun! I can't wait to get it started. And uh, by the way, congratulations! Last thing on the new uh, brand new shiny contract extension yeah. through 2027. You could almost retire by then, right, Coach? It's a long time out. <laughs> Not that old. <laughs> I hope I got a lot more years in me. Uh, no, I'm I'm really thankful um, that that Terry and and the administration they that they think that this program's heading in the right direction. Um, I love it here. So I when that was uh, presented to me, I I couldn't wait to sign it, and and uh, I'm so excited to be here for um, for as long as possible. So. Well, we're excited to have you here too, Scott, because it's been a it's been a blast having you here. And thank you so much again for taking time out of your busy schedule for us. Head coach Scott Calabrese, UCF men's soccer coach Calabrese on Twitter, UCF underscore M soccer on Twitter as well for all the latest coach. Thank you once again. Best of luck in the upcoming season. We'll see you on uh, Thursday night. All right. All righty, guys. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on. Thanks to Scott, coach Calabrese on Twitter. Wanted to thank 
uh, Ken Landis for uh, helping set this up. The great Kenny Landis uh, setting everything up on the uh, UCF media relations side of things. It's always so insightful to talk to Scott, right? I mean, he's such an expert. Yeah. I, when I, when I think of him, he's just an expert at college soccer. And, and uh, I mean, you might think, well, that's kind of a silly cliche. I mean, shouldn't all college coaches be experts at college soccer, but he, he's, he thinks about the game um, and not just, you know, in terms of his team, but, you know, the sport in general, um, you know, so profoundly. And, uh, and it, I think it shows up in UCF style of play too, Eric. And I, and I'm looking forward to seeing them, um, you know, pick up that style of play. Once again, I kind of, uh, yeah, it, it was really interesting what he said about, uh, about some of the players that, you know, could had trouble getting out of Brazil Um you know, to get to the team last year. And uh, now it looks like we're going to have a full compliment and um, you know, wow. Coming off of what they were able to do last year, I think you got to be really excited, huh? No doubt. And the exciting thing is that coach Calabrese will be with us for a while, signed an extension as we yep. brief mentioned there at the end, among a lot of coaches, we'll get to others later or next segment, but yeah, look, I think their offense will be a lot better. I agree with you. I think their offense will be a lot better this year. The biggest question, though, look, the biggest question is who's going to be the goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. As we as we talk, we don't know. We'll get some answers maybe starting against that FIU match and moving forward, but that's going to be the big question. You're replacing a great goalie and Yannick Erdo, who I think is the second greatest goalkeeper in the history of UCF soccer. Big shoes to fill. Who fills those shoes could go a long way in how far this team can go, whether they can win another conference title, whether they can, what is it, make it a four-peat? Uh, yeah, or, four in a row in the regular season. Trying to make it four in a row in the regular season. Can it get back to the Sweet 16? I'm very curious to see how the goalkeeping situation goes. The offense, I think, will be solid. The good news is, and you heard Coach Calabrese mentioned, very experienced. Yannis Learman, to me, is the key factor. He's the leader. He's the glue in the back. When he was hurt early in the spring, they struggled. When he got back is when they started clicking. I don't think that's an accident. He's their best defensive player, uh, and I think he will be uh, certainly help out whoever the goalkeeper is moving forward. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Gino Vivi, number 14 on top drawer soccer's top 100 players in college soccer. Giannis Learman was 42nd. I think Gino has the potential for this calendar year when we do the bannies next year to be the breakout star category. I de- he really came on at the end in spring. It, you could tell he started to figure some things out offensively. I expect him to be, to be the leading scorer on this team, and I think he could be the next guy that has the potential before his career's done at UCF to be an All-American. Yeah, between him and Luca Dorado, I think you just have such tremendous scoring. We, we were spoiled by you know having one guy for two years in Cal Jennings um, just, just be a human goal machine. I think, you know, you're not going to see either one of those guys, you know, checking in the top five or 10 in the, in the country in terms of goals. But when you combine them, I think they're going to be one of the top, you know, goal scoring duos in the country. We saw, I mean, we saw what Luca did last year in the tournament. Remember he scored both of the regulation goals in both of the tournament games and that goal in the championship game that he whacked home from 30, 30, 35 yards out in the first 10 minutes of, uh, of the championship match against Tulsa. That was one of the great goals uh, in recent history in UCF and, and just showed you the potential that he has. It was, uh, it was world-class as, as, uh, as we like to say. And uh, uh, wow, it's, uh, it's, it's exciting to see what this team is going to be able to do. They start once again with FIU Thursday, August 26th. We're recording this the day before. So uh, if you're hearing this on, uh, if you're hearing this on Thursday morning, um, 
you know, there's a game tonight <laughs> at UCF, yeah. so make sure you check it out. And, and again, the goalkeeping situation is going to be the big story. Is it going to be Matt Douglas, who appeared in a couple, started a couple of matches in the spring when when Yannick was hurt, won the match against Memphis, as you mentioned in the interview, mm-hmm. or is it the redshirt sophomore Bernardo Brindeo, or is it the redshirt freshman Tyler Levine? Brindeo is the kid from, by the way, Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. While Tyler Levine is from St. Cloud, Florida, will whose number gets called against FIU and how do they handle, how do they perform could go a long way, as you heard Coach Calvary's determining who will be the man on, on a position, by the way, that quietly has a lot of legacy at UCF. The Arguably uh, one of the greatest athletes in the history of UCF, Winston DeBose. Is the goalkeeper here at UCF. He's in the Florida Sports Hall of Fame and the UCF Athletics Hall of Fame. He's the greatest of all time. Yannick Erdo now in the MLS, signed with uh, New England there. I mean, there have been others. Rick Branktovic, who played with the Tampa Rowdy. So this is a position that quietly is a very high, uh, big-time position in UCF Athletics. Yeah, so uh, we'll find out real quick who, uh, who gets the nod for that season opener. By the way, uh, in addition, there is uh, soccer uh, on the women's side as well, in Gainesville uh, on Thursday night, UCF ranked number 19, the women are, uh, at the Florida Gators uh, th- uh, on Thursday, August 26, 7 p.m. up in Gainesville. So those of you uh, night fans who are up in the Gainesville area get the chance to see uh, UCF women's Good to see that rivalry Florida. renewed. Obviously, yes. as you saw, the pollsters made a big jump as a result of the win over Texas last week. And again, that's nothing where, last week, huge. And, th- and this is where the brand name comes in, right? We've talked about in football, the American version. Oh, lack of respect by the polls, right? Over the years of football, you see in soccer, when UCF does something like beat Texas for nothing, they automatically get respect because of the tradition and the brand they have. Now they got to follow that up by going on the road against Florida. There's a new era in Florida. Tony Amato is the new head coach taking over for Becky Burley, who retired in the spring. It is now currently the head coach of the professional team here in Orlando, the pride. It's kind of weird to say that. I mean, this is only the second head coach in the history of Florida soccer. Yeah. Um, And it's a bit of a rebuild there at Florida. They had a draw with Texas on Sunday. So this is a big road test to see, to see if UCF can continue that momentum they built in the Texas win. 5-14-1, 5-14-1, and one, the all-time record for UCF against Florida, but they've won the last two. So uh, that should be uh, something that, uh, you know, I, I know Tiffany Roberts, the Haddock, wants it. She wants the UCF to have the upper hand in that head-to-head every year against Florida. So good chance to see that as well uh, on, uh, 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 on, the, on the pitch in Gainesville. UCF women's soccer against Florida at 7 o'clock on Thursday. UCF men's soccer against FIU on Thursday night at home as well don't go away we return we got a couple things to clean up here some coaching extensions uh, coaching contract extensions to talk about uh and some softball news from eric lopez as well as uh men's basketball schedule continuing to fill out stick around be right back we're back here on the black and gold banneret podcast it's jeff and eric with you as we uh wrap up here our uh third segment thanks again to chris vanini thanks to scott calvary's joining us in our first two segments uh Let's talk uh, about some uh, other news coming up. We talked about the two soccer teams starting out um, or not starting out in terms of the women because they started last week, but uh, women's soccer is underway. Men's soccer on Thursday as well. Uh, Volleyball gets underway this weekend as well. They have the UCF challenge at home at the venue, Georgia tech, St. John's and Penn state coming to town. Um, Big time competition uh, at the uh, venue to start the season. Uh, they held the black and gold uh, last Saturday. 
Uh, don't forget, we had Todd Dagenet on the show last week to preview his team. Uh, and they get to face an ACC, a Big East, and a Big at home here. Penn State, of course, wasn't all that long ago. They won four straight national titles. Um, St. John's is expected to contend for the Big East this year, and Georgia Tech as well in the ACC. Uh, and the first match is 7 p.m. Friday, uh, Georgia Tech. St. John's at 11 a.m. on Saturday at 7.30 p.m. on Saturday. So, by the way, Eric Lopez, I will be on the call on ESPN Plus on Saturday morning. So, uh, there you go. That something that I am looking forward to very much. Working with Meg Fitzgerald, the former Meg Colado, the our former. Hey, yeah, good to see her. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing her in the booth. I there, know, that's I, good. She's been. Uh, she and I were talking. We we're really excited for the season to get started. Despina Barton will be uh, handling the uh, handling the other two matches. Uh, we're we're underway, man. Here so. We go. Could be some history. Should be, will be some history this weekend. Maybe you get to call this history. A little stat here. McKenna Melville mm-hmm. coming into this weekend has 993 digs. Seven away from 1,000. Oh, she that, might get that Friday night. All right. Yeah, let's hope so. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's a good thing. Uh, whenever she does that, either Friday night, probably you're right. I would probably bet on Friday night. She would become the sixth UCF player, the history of the program, to have over 1,000 kills, and over a thousand digs, the 1,000, 1,000 club. Mm-hmm. She would join Miriam Metzketz, who played from 91 to 94. Tyra Harper, who's arguably the GOAT. Obviously, been a, a, a probably if we ranked the UCF volleyball players all time, she would probably get the nod. She's in the Hall of Fame, Ring of Honor. She was an Olympic uh, alternate in volleyball. She played from 94 to 97. Renata Menchikova, who's also an, a UCF Athletic Hall of Famer, 95 to 97. Aaron Campbell. Played from 2006 to 2009. And Kia Bright, 2014 to 17. That's the list that McKenna would join once she gets to 1,000 digs. And what's interesting about those names, only Bright and Campbell were able to accomplish it under the current scoring system. Right. Because Harper, Menchikova, and Metzkitz played on a different scoring system, which you've explained. You had to win on side. In order to get a point, you had to be on serve. If you side out, there was no point. But now, and this is what they, we, we've been in since 2000, 2001. I think we had the we're now in yep. the rally scoring era where you get a point on every on every serve, no matter what. Yes, and Melville comes into the season with a thousand three hundred and sixty nine kills. That's sixth all time. She is seven hundred and eighty three behind the all time leader Renetta Menchikova, who had twenty one hundred fifty one. She did it in three years, by the way. Shout out to Menchikova. That's a machine. Tyra Harper, 1,932 is second. Uh, Melville is 662 behind. Metzkitz, 1,811. That's four. uh, That's uh, right there. Only what? 443 behind. Then you got Larry Sante, who played from uh, in that 0102 range, Mm -hmm. 1,497. And then Crump, Angelica Crump, 1,489. Uh, my guess is, uh, Jeff, I think you would agree with me, based on McKenna's career, she probably will end up in third place by the time this year ends if she goes based on her career num- averages. Right. Probably. And then if she comes back for another year, she has a shot to chase chase down Menchikova and Harper. But again, uh, this is the list that she's talking about. She's fourth all-time in digs per set. I mean, this is a great player who's in probably – I think McKenna right now going into the season is a top five all-time. I think the conversation is Tyra Harper, Menchikova, probably Jenny Frank, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe some – you know, if you go pre-D1, Laura Smith. Uh, 
you know, it's tough because of the positions. Jordan Pingle from a libero standpoint could be in the conversation. But I think McKenna's in there. Delana Sarton is another one that we should mention. Those are probably your names, right? That you would when you say Mount Rushmore, greatest of all time, that's the list that McKenna's trying is in that list, right? Yeah, she's, against she's, she's definitely carving her face on the mountain right now. I, I think and the other thing too, I you know her presence has translated directly to success on the floor for the team, too. You know, the last seasons. No UCF's conference record is go for it 40 and two. And that includes two conference uh, tournaments, by the way, that they've, that they've won uh, as well. The only two losses were to Jordan Thompson and Cincinnati. And yes, that Jordan Thompson who played on the U S Olympic team in Tokyo just this past, just a couple weeks ago and helped the United States win and, and was really their their number one attacker until she got hurt, um, leading to the gold medal, uh, first ever gold medal for UCF uh, or excuse me for Team USA uh, indoor volleyball. So uh, in, on the women's side, so um, that gives you an idea of the run that UCF has been on yep. right now. Forty six of the last forty eight in conference, seventy five of the last ninety overall. Another um, player that's been involved in that is Anne Marie Watson, yeah, who comes in. Second all-time in blocks assist, 378 behind Harper at 475. She's fourth in total blocks, averages 1.1 block per set. She has 729 kills, so that she's about 271 away from 1,000 herself. So she's mm-hmm. another one under the radar, you know what I mean? She's, you know, because, you know, obviously Melville in her great career, but Watson's had a great career, and this is her last. Do we know this? This is her last year for sure, yeah. regardless. Is it, a lot of ammo coming back for UCF. The only question is, um, how does the libero position shake out? Uh, Todd talked about it with Chloe Shear, uh, who is the number one um, returning veteran uh, on the back line for uh, UCF. But uh, they, she is going to get uh, plenty of uh, she's going to get pushed by uh, one of the younger uh, freshmen that has come in, Caitlin Grimes uh, from Lebanon, Ohio, uh, who's a freshman. <clears throat> a freshman coming right in. Um, I think it could be a, a real good battle between the two of them because we are going to see a lot of players used in rotation. I mean, this is going to, because, you know, like you said, they just played in the spring. Um, you know, jump management is going to be a real issue, you know, for UCF this no year. No doubt. As it is for everybody, by the way. Everybody's in the same boat, but it's going to be exciting to see those Penn State colors Against UCF in yep. volleyball. That's a pretty signature moment. I mean, I'm trying to think real quick before we move forward because we still got a lot to go. But I think of Stanford, which I want to say was Todd's first year or second Stan- year yeah, with Stanford. Yeah, first year. His very first year. This has got to be right up there with that as far as m- m- marquee names, matches in the regular season in the history of the venue. No? It's certainly up there. Yeah, I would I would put Stanford up there. Um, looking back on it, you know, the, the championship match with Cincinnati. Well, that's uh, a different category. That was amazing. Category, but yeah, yeah. I, but yeah, we've seen, you know, this is, this is one of the bigger opponents that we've seen um, in a long time. Uh, a, you know, we you know Florida came here for the NCAA. That was big. Um, although UCF didn't get to play them, unfortunately, but uh, um, yeah, as far as regular season, this is as big as it gets in terms of at home, at home, at home. I, I want to mention, cause title beat, will get mad. Cause remember we, they beat USC. A couple times, including in the neutral court in the past. And I was down at Florida Gulf Coast. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Correct. By the way, Todd, if you're listening, 
stay with the Daniel Bryan comparison for your team. You don't want to be Shelton Benjamin <laughs> because that's not really a compliment. I think Daniel Bryan's the way to go. And props to you on knowing who Jay Lethal is. That's the independent wrestler that does a Macho Man impersonation. So props to you, Todd. I'm proud of you. I appreciate this talk. Uh, already too much wrestling. for We got to get Greg Lovelady to chime in on this. Speaking of which. Speaking of which. Great segue, Eric Lopez. Thank you. Greg Lovelady just signed himself a contract extension through the 2025 season. Uh, yet another contract extension uh, passed out by Terry Mahajer here. Yeah, remember uh, all those people that are saying, man, with the new AD, what's going to happen with all these coaches? They're all going to want to leave, huh? Locking them up. <laughs> yeah. Locking them up. I like up. it. And I like uh, it. I, I'm glad Greg's getting the extension. I know some people might be surprised based on the, but to me, again, we both told, we, we want to tell you, we told you so. He's done a good job. I think Terry sees too what I've been addressing uh, in the past, which is the facility issues. Mm -hmm. And I think he sees that baseball's kind of really not been working at full strength. I know that John Liano and they've enhanced, but they still got ways to go. And I think that's some building blocks still to happen there on the baseball side. So well, good to well, see Greg. Well, I think what's also important about this is, I, you know, right now, college baseball in needs some stability. The better programs need stability because with this shuffling of the minor leagues and the shortening draft, um, this is going to change the level of talent that's going to be coming and staying in college baseball, I think. You know, I did lose some talent from last year, obviously, but... You know, there's we're still in, you know, Greg said to him, said it uh, to us himself. You know, there's a uh, it's going to take a good. Five years for everything to kind of shake out, right. you know, in between this minor league and major league baseball agreement and what's going to happen with college baseball uh, as a result of that. And UCF stands to benefit from that, I think, certainly. But, you know, you're only going to benefit it with it if you have a if you have within your program, I think. And and I think. Given what we saw last year, Eric, how that team kind of came together at the right moment at the end, right. to the coaching to the coaching job that he did with the talent that they had, and, and uh, yep, it, yep. It, things came together in a very big way. You know, just they were 120, they were 180 feet from winning the American. Well, and I think this is to Terry's way of saying we know that we that maybe the administrations haven't helped you in the past, and I'm here to help you from a facility standpoint, from a support system. I'll never forget. And Bryson was there uh, in the Zoom when they asked Greg Lovelady about instant replay and why don't they have it? Because select parks don't have it. Some do, some don't. And he said, you have to ask the administration. It's because of the facilities and the video. That comes about pushing. And I think I would not be surprised if base baby UCF gets that. Who knows? But I think it's the so. support. It's the support. And I think Terry sees the that, hey, we got to build some things. We got to heck. They, he did some minor improvements towards the end of the baseball season at the home games. So yeah, he, uh, he took care of Craig, which I think is great. I'm glad they announced it. Scott got taken care of. They took care of also uh, John Roddick through 2025 and Brian Kanyeko yep. as well. And that won't be the last coaches you'll hear about. So, again, extension. So tennis is tennis is locked up. Emily yep. Marin got locked up. Yep. Uh, baseball. Uh, Greg Lovelady got locked up. We're probably going to, uh, uh, oh, oh uh, Tiffany Roberts hey, that got got locked yep. up. Uh, Coach Calabrese, like we talked about earlier, locked up. It's just going right down the line on everybody. And I think you'll hear more <laughs> more to come. Expect more to come. Yep. All right. More so we'll be on the uh, uh, keeping an eye on that. Speaking of which, uh, some softball news. You know, we had some coaching news there, uh, Eric Lopez, where uh, Cindy Malone totally overhauled her staff. Her coaching staff to the uh, heading into this season. Uh, so tell me what you. So you've seen. You know, Whitney Jones obviously is the highlight. 
um, who, uh, you know, she actually played for, uh, is that right? She played for, uh, for so Coach yeah, Whitney, Pomelo? Whitney Jones was a player from 2011 to 2014. That was the time frame when coach Paul Malone was the assistant to Heather Tarr uh, right. okay. at Washington when Sydney was the assistant from 2011 to 2012. So they go way back from those days. And so it makes a ton of sense for her to bring her in to kind of the familiarity to help her run the offense. I think that's the big news because Sydney obviously is going to handle the pitching. Uh, Kendra Lynch, who is here, took uh, the pitching coach job at UNC Greensboro, which is closer to home. She's also going to be working under the head coach at Greensboro, which some people believe in the softball circles will possibly be the next head coach at North Carolina where Kendra played in. And I think Kendra's long-term goal is to end up back at North Carolina on that coaching staff, either as the head coach or as the primary assistant when Donna Papa, their coach, retires in a couple of years, more than likely. That's the speculation out of Carolina. I think Kendra make going back closer to Greensboro makes a ton of sense. That's a very good program. So, and then Coach Jordan, obviously, now is going to become a mom for a second time. So she's more focused on the family side than coaching right now. So, you have a situation here where Whitney comes in. She runs the offense. You have Tyler Heal, who comes in from New Mexico. He'll run the defense uh, there. And then the news that I scooped here, Black and Gold Banneret, And in the circle break here, Aaliyah White will be the grad coach. So she will be sticking around this program at UCF as well. Uh, they will probably add in a volunteer coach from what I understand. Look for that in the next week or so. Uh, it will make sense here. But Coach Paul Malone has got a staff that she knows very well. And I think, uh, look, they're just trying to push forward after a great season. And that's kind of the angle. I expect also Coach Paul Malone to probably have an extension. And don't be surprised if that comes out rather soon as well, if not by the time you're hearing this. Who knows? I never know. Because these things are coming out in droves. <laughs> hey, you know, I want to talk real quick about Aaliyah. Um, is it, you know, we've seen, you know, players come back as, uh, you know, directors of operations here and there, but is it unusual for a, a player to come back right after they graduate as an assistant coach, volunteer status or not as an assistant? Coach? Well, it's a grad coach and no, and it's actually become more and more common in the sport of softball. In fact, I, I would argue UCF was kind of behind a lot of schools when it comes to that. For example, Washington will have Sis Bates, who's their great shortstop. She just graduated. Mm -hmm. She's going to be on that staff at Washington, I think, Remember as a grad. from the Women's College World Series. She was excellent. Correct. So a lot of programs keep those coach players to be a grad coach or a volunteer coach. UCF, quite honestly, has never had that opportunity under previous management. And again, I think under, you know, and this was kind of in the works from what I'm told, but now with, you know, Aliyah's going to be going to grad school, it's a win-win for everybody. She gets yeah. to go to school, continue her school, but she continues to be around the program, and I'm sure Coach Ball Malone will use her to help her, especially with the pitcher. So I actually think that's more common. You mentioned the director of ops, by the way, Adam Derusha. I mentioned in the article, one of the most popular director of ops I can remember. My phone blew up when they announced his hire. He's worked at Florida under Tim Walton. He worked at LSU under Beth Torino, who I have quoted exclusively on Black and Gold Banneret. And Laura Berg, who's a three-time gold medalist and a head coach at Oregon State, she reached out to me to make sure she got quoted about Adam. They all love Adam. So that's all on Black and Gold Banneret. Read all that. It's I've never seen that about a director of ops. He is well-respected in this sport. 
I think that might be the biggest home run hire for Coach Ball Malone, based on what other coaches are telling me about him. He's an Orlando area kid guy. I think he wants to be closer back to home. So I think that's a win-win for everybody. So that that should help them from that standpoint as well. A softball guy running the director of up. So that's kind of Coach Ball Malone's vision for the staff. And you know, I think you're going to see her maybe uh, still involved in the offensive game plan, but not necessarily in complete. I think she realized, Jeff, last year you can't just run everything mm -hmm. you have you can't be everywhere and i think even though it's funny because remember danny white when they hired coach bo malone oh it's about the offense and the offense and we saw the improvements but having gotten to know coach bo malone is a two-way player at the heart at the soul she's a pitcher she's a pitcher and she loves teaching pitching and i think she wants to focus a little bit more on that uh but don't get me wrong she'll still be involved in the offense but not I think Whitney will take some of that load off. Yeah. All right. Last thing we want to talk about men's basketball. And uh, what a way to finish it up because they finished up their non-conference schedule. And, dude, this is a gauntlet. Let me tell you. Starting off the season November 10th against Robert Morris. Then they go to Miami. Here, here's just some of the road games. I'm just going to list off the opponents. And, uh, you know, they're, first of all, starting at home, Robert Morris at Miami. Home for Jacksonville at Evansville. Don't sleep on Evansville, by the way. Uh, home for Oklahoma at Auburn to start the month of December. Home for Bethune-Cookman. Home for North Carolina A&T. Florida State in the Orange Bowl Classic down in uh, Sunrise. Home for North Alabama. Home for Michigan on December 30th. And that so let's recap the, the big-time teams that are coming, all right? Michigan, Florida State, Auburn, Oklahoma, Miami. And by the way, some of those other non-conference, some of the mid-majors that they have in the schedule are no slouch either. That's an incredible schedule. Uh, I think it's the strongest, most difficult schedule in the history of UCF basketball. And I think it's going to be end up being the most attractive home schedule in the history of UCF basketball. When you consider you have Oklahoma mm -hmm. in there, you got, forget the American conference, put that to a side because there's some quality games there. Memphis, you know, and all that but you got Oklahoma, and then you got Michigan. Jawan Howard, the Michigan brand with those jerseys. That's a team that's going to be a top 10 team this year. That's a national title contender, probably the favorites in the Big Ten. They got great players coming back, like Devontae Jones. You got Caleb Houston, Hunter Dickinson, uh, who really hurt UCF, you know, deal. That is a super talented ball club. Uh, I can't believe those Michigan colors are going to be in the arena. That is going to be a wild game from last year too, by the way. Listen, we saw CM Punk return to wrestling last week. I could see Brian, our, our good buddy, Brian Murphy return to the arena for that game. All right. I promise you he will be in the building. <laughs> he will make his UCF basketball campus return for that game. Cause that is amazing to get Michigan to come to UCF. Are you, and, you know, it's part of that home and home, which Brian wrote about last year on Banneret. So props to him on that. That is unbelievable. Uh, you, sir, as a PA guy, that is going to be cool. I hope it works out because that is unbelievable. You still got Oklahoma in that home schedule. We haven't even discussed the road schedule at Auburn. They're supposed to be loaded this year with Bruce Pearl. Yep. FSU at the Orange Bowl Classic at Sunrise. Leonard Hamilton. Yo, that is a marquee schedule. Vintage Johnny Dawkins. Obviously, it tells you he has confidence in the group he's got coming back, and they're going to be tested. You will, you know, and and again, they may not have a quote shiny win loss record, but boy, they're going to be tested, and they're going to have great opportunities with 
the, the system there with the quad ones and quad two games in the net. They're going to have plenty of those and great opportunities to get them ready for the American. Yeah, I think that's really what the key is, is he wants to boost that net rating. And he's got confidence that these teams, including, you know, even, you know, I, I'm really impressed with some of the other mid-majors that he was even able to uh, fill in here. Evansville, that's not going to be easy. Uh, the Aces, gosh, I love that name. Uh, you got Jacksonville coming back in, uh, coming back into town. Robert Morris has seen some success of, of late. Um, and uh, North Carolina A&T has been quite successful too. So uh, I think that this is going to be about stacking the schedule for that net ranking once we get to conference play. Because when, when you hit that and, uh, you know, th- that's the part of the schedule that you obviously you can't control. Um, you know, I think this is going to be a real challenge for UCF, obviously, you know, given the opponents that they're going to be facing, but you know, it's going to be a baptism by fire for this particular team with all the newcomers, uh, and the, or rather with all the, uh, with, with all the returnees that we're going to have, what's the talent level going to be? How are you going to measure that talent level up against these teams? We're going to find out real quick because. Uh, boy, like you said, this is going to be a wild, wild schedule. Now, by the way, some people ask me about this. Could that conflict with a potential New Year's Six bowl game for UCF? Um, do you, and because somebody asked me this, Jeff, do you have the Peach Bowl date, the Fiesta Bowl, which a lot of people believe, by the way, that's where the whoever represents the group of five will end up this year. The Fiesta Bowl is January 1st this year. So that's right. two days before that Michigan game. I don't know. Is the Peach Bowl this year? I don't know what the date is there. If we can, uh, But that... Hang on, if, I got it for if, you in a second. Because some people wonder, well, if they end up... Peach there, is set for December 30th. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh-oh. Hey, yeah. now. Hey, now, now. That would be... That's the only unfortunate thing about the Michigan date. If UCF ends up in the Peach Bowl, that's probably... You know, they're not going to draw... You know, that's going to hurt, obviously, attendance and... Even if they're in the Fiesta Bowl, that could hurt attendance because people might travel out west. But hopefully that's a problem we deal with. But nonetheless, that's the only negative. But otherwise, man, that is uh, woo, that's going to be something. Yeah, this is going to be. I'm really excited for that Michigan game. Get Juwan Howard down here. They're loaded. That, that's oh. a team that has got Final Four aspirations. Um, that's and, it's, a, and it's the last game before conference play starts. Too, well, and, and, right. By that time, you're, you've are you basically figured out kind of where you should be pretty much figuring out where you're going to be as a team. Well, and again, and I remember we did a podcast last year when we talked about this. This series was announced, and I think Brian made the point in that episode. Michigan, you could argue. I don't, I don't think you could argue that Michigan – is probably the biggest brand basketball wise that's going to play at UCF ever, right? Like what's the biggest brand? We talked about Penn state and volleyball from a men's basketball to come here to play UCF. What do we, I mean, Louisville that one year, obviously when they were in the member yeah. of the American is up there. Uh, Memphis, but I, Memphis at their I, peak. Yeah. But I think Michigan's bigger brand than Memphis. Uh, I mean, Michigan's a top, a huge brand. I mean, basketball-wise, they've won national titles. The Fab Five documentaries. Jawad Howard, a Fab Five member is going to be here. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't. I guarantee you, there will be unless we from get the- unless we get you know Duke, North right. Carolina, or Syracuse. Gosh, I would love for Syracuse to come here. I, it, it, but you know, one of those schools to come here. I mean, that's as big as it's going to get. That's that huge. I think it's the biggest get. brand basketball name to play at UCF. Uh, 
huge, huge deal. So great Maybe for Indiana, John Mason. something like that. Yeah, that's what, but they haven't come here. Michigan is. Right. Uh, yep. Credit to Juwan and, and credit to Coach Dawkins for making it happen. Yep. Yep. Excellent. So I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to this schedule. <laughs> it's going to be the, the sleeper game, I think, is that Oklahoma game, too, by the way. That's, that's a big a, game, Oklahoma. That's a, return, that's a return game from last year where, remember, it was uh, that game was canceled due to – it was supposed right. to be the home opener. Correct. And it got canceled due to COVID-19, a problem with Oklahoma. Uh, and so they're making that game up this year. A lot of new faces in Oklahoma. New head coach Parker Moser coming in from Loyola of Chicago when he sent him to the – he took him to the Final Four. I think the Elite Eight last year, Final Four a few years with Sister Jane. Yep. Sister Gene, now let's, he's let's the head repeat, coach at Oklahoma. Loyola of Chicago that he took to the, yeah. the Final Four and the Elite Eight. Right. He's taken over for Lon Kruger, who retired after this past year. Lon Kruger would have been here, would have been a bit of a homecoming for him, being obviously the former Gator head coach. Of course, his assistant when he was at Florida, Kirk Sparrow, former UCF head coach. But he's obviously retired, but Parker Moser. But you're right, that's a big home game with Oklahoma. It's a, think about that. We got Oklahoma and Michigan highlighting your home schedule. I don't think UCF can ever say that in the non-conference to have two marquee brands like that in a home slate. And a shout-out to the South Florida fans actually out there, uh, South Florida UCF alumni and fans down there Yep. Uh, in uh, Broward, Dayton, Palm Beach to see the Knights play in Sunrise too. And I believe that Florida State, from what I understand, and I think when we this came out, I think Coach Dawkins told us uh, that could be a three. You know, remember last year UCF was at Tallahassee, beat Florida State. This year they'll play in Sunrise. They were supposed to play in Sunrise last year, but obviously with COVID that got changed. I think there's a chance, and I know he was talking to Coach Hamilton about, I think there's a very good chance that then the following year Florida State would come to UCF and it turns it basically ends up being a three-game series out of it. Nice. I dig it. This is going to be great. All right. So we're looking forward to that as well. The conference. A lot of scoops on this show, by the way, people. Have you noticed? A lot lot of of ELO bombs I just dropped there. Thanks, by the way, also to Chris Vanini from The Athletic. You can follow him at Chris Vanini on Twitter. Thanks to Scott Calabrese as well. Coach Calabrese on Twitter. UCF men's soccer starts up uh, on Thursday, August 26th against FIU. Make sure you check it out there. And we'll be covering that game uh, when it gets started. As well. Thanks to you, Eric Lopez. Remember, fans, if you uh, subscribe to us, we thank you so much. Make sure you tell a friend uh, who doesn't subscribe to us. Uh, we are the home of UCF Sports on SB Nation. You can follow us on Twitter, UCF underscore Banneret, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret, and of course, Black and Gold If you do not subscribe to us, please do. We are available on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Or if you're an Android user, you can look us up on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Eric Lopez, we're off and running, man. We got soccer. We got volleyball. Here we go. It's a pleasure. All is underway. It is. It's a blast. And uh, hopefully everybody gets excited. We'll have a lot of football next week. But in the meantime, as our my good friend CM Punk would say, told the AEW audience, go get yourself an an ice cream bar on us. All right. Enjoy it. For Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret.